Welcome to Business Talk Sister Doc. I'm Becca. And this week we are going to be talking about creating a CPG business on a budget. And if you missed the last episode, you should go back and check it out. Understanding the business of consumer packaged goods. That is uh, what CPG uh, stands for. And with me today, I have a expert who works in that industry, James Richardson. Thanks so much for being with me today. Thanks, Rebecca, for having me. Yeah. And I know last week we kind of talked a little bit about what you do and why you do it and all those things. And so we're just going to keep kind of going with the conversation that we've been having so far. And I feel Got like it. the summary of what I learned last time for um, having a business that's trying to compete against pl places like Frito-Lay or um, Coca-Cola and being an organic or maybe like more um, high-end food is that um, you really need to make sure that you start online so you can get that quality data. And my question with that, when you're talking about that was, um, so you're getting into the market because you can get online and get access to consumers. Do you do that through like say Amazon or would you recommend you really should start on your own website? It, it depends. Okay. Uh, tell me say, all about why. <laughs> so, uh, the best data is going to come from your website, but you have to have enough seed capital to get some traffic going to your site. And you have to have the kind of personality that can do your own PR and chase, okay. chase what might often be just local appearances. Right. And so for extroverted founders, and I, I know some, I work with some, this is a natural skill of theirs. And so mm -hmm. I tell them that they need to lean on that. You know, these are the kind of people who just barge their way onto TV cooking shows, like the local TV <laughs> right. station. Right? So okay. this costs this costs zero dollars, folks. There's no payment. These are all free appearances. So the the way you get on is you you exude charisma and you have really good verbal skills and you can you're a storyteller and you're passionate and and mm. you persist in chasing those opportunities. And that's something extroverts personality-wise are extremely good at because they, they don't care when people reject them. Mm -hmm. Or if maybe they ever... do, they just go home and cry afterwards. <laughs> no, they don't, they don't care. They really okay. don't. Fair I, enough. Fair I related enough. to some of these folks. They literally phew, bounced right off them. So the <laughs> like best, nothing happened. Yeah, the best salespeople in the world, that's a, that's a true. lot of them tend to be like that because mm -hmm. they are in a high rejection career. So um, I think the challenge with D2C, even though it has the best data, um, mm -hmm. it, because it allows you to, I mean, you literally collect email addresses. So you can literally, you could literally ask people, can I call you and learn about your experience with my product? And then, Have people done yeah. that? Is that like oh, a people thing? People do that all the time. Yeah. And people right. do. See with these cool, with cool niche brands, people are really almost honored that you're reaching out. It's super cool. So you actually get a very high response rate and a lot of engagement. You know, if Frito-Lay, if Cheetos tried to do that, it would be a joke. People would assume they're being scammed. So, so. Fair enough, fair Which enough. is why, no, that's why Cheetos have to, Cheetos has to, they have to hire third-party market research firms to dress in big professional tuxedos and, and do it that way because otherwise the consumer won't take it seriously. Mm -hmm. Um and I used to do that work. <laughs> so, but yeah, you have a laboratory there. I think the challenge with D2C is you're not going to easily get a lot of traffic off the bat, right? So it's a slower ramp unless you have what they call a brand platform already. Now, increasingly, people in college have these, right? So if you're one of these people, there's 15,000 people on Instagram following you. If for some reason, if you're one of those people, even 10,000 to 15,000 Instagram followers, actually even 5,000, Rebecca. And I, I keep hearing about college students who have these followings, right? If you've got that, 
you actually have, you have a platform to start moving product, not mm. a lot, but mm -hmm. it's the beginning. And, all, mm -hmm. and if you have a really good product, and that's the key, if you spent the time developing it, um, and that could take a couple of years of iterations, you have a way now, you literally have a marketing audience and you can go and find it. What percentage of those followers want my nutrition bar, right? Mm -hmm. So hopefully if you're innovating something, there's some lifestyles, lifestyle sort of unconscious logic between what you came up with and the audience you built at Instagram. I'm guessing there is some connection. It's not totally unrelated. <laughs> Mm -hmm. like you don't have 5,000 followers on Instagram and suddenly want to develop the next great adult diaper. Um, so it's just like, it's usually going to be some category that's- That's like related all, to your already- Kind of already Instagram yeah. ready, right? Yeah. That's most yeah. likely the case. So run with that and that's your audience, right? And I mean, you could have an Instagram sell... for geriatric people. You never know, but all right. Oh, I'm just kidding. Well, once my generation, yeah. But um, the- the, if you have that kind of audience, you can set up a, a web, you should absolutely set up a DTC website and start there. Okay. First of all, it's a lot cheaper to set up a shop, Shopify and third-party fulfillment than it is to go through Amazon right now. Oh, interesting. Um, like five, using... years, five years ago, I would have said that those things were a wash, but it's very clear from my clients and other sources that Amazon, um, the pandemic has caused massive warehouse limitations. And so what they've done is they've asked they've created an environment where you have to be much more successful in terms of sales volume to get a whole bunch of dedicated inventory warehousing. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you've got to constantly be sending, which costs you more money. It's much cheaper to send a truckload to Amazon's warehouse once you're making bank than it is for the small seller to, to be sending like, like six a boxes box. at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what most people are stuck with right now because they're limiting the small supplier's ability to hold inventory. So this is a real financial problem starting up there. But here's the thing, if you're like me, when I started my business, I had like 169 followers on LinkedIn, woohoo, and they were all my connections. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so I had no gap between connections and followers like the big people do. <laughs> so, right, um, right. So now I've got 9,000 followers and 6,000 connections. So that's like a more professional thought leader, low end sort of setup, right? But I have mm -hmm. an audience. Mm -hmm. So that took years to build. So if you don't have that, and you actually want to sell, then a place like Amazon or other third-party site in food, it could be a place like thrive.com, which is a very, very popular nutrition and health and wellness uh, online national provider. You know, going through those guys, yes, there will be some fees and stuff, but they're usually what they call, they're usually in direct proportion to your sales rate. Okay. So they're a variable cost that starts off low and it only goes up as your sales goes up. Um, okay. There's some fixed fees, but generally that's how it works. So you can get, and here's the thing, that's where the eyeballs are. So if you don't have a network, you've got to sell through a third-party retail online mm -hmm. that has the eyeballs flushing towards them. And then all you're doing is using symbolism, keyword marketing, sponsored ads, which are relatively cash efficient if they're done right, um, bidding essentially for that some of that attention to come to your Jeered a little thingamajiggy. Now, it's getting harder to compete if you're like the 28th bag of granola. Mm -hmm. So don't be the 28th bag of granola. This is the other thing. <laughs> Step back from your forced product and really do what I would say. You don't want to do a kind of market analysis that a cranky, pessimistic company would do, like the ones I used to work for. 
because then you'll just kill your mood and you'll just shut it all down <laughs> and cry. Okay. <laughs> right. And you know, that that's a whole thing. What you need to do is ask some basic questions like, am I like the 25th person to come up with this idea? Mm -hmm. Because you can go and be, you can pretend to be a fake customer at like the top five chains, you know, um, and go shop for groceries in different key cities and see what's there. And you'll find all, well, you'll find all the startups there, right? Go to Whole Foods in different cities and try to, and get on their catalogs through Instacart or, or Amazon Prime. And you just look, look in the different cities, what's for sale. Is there anyone doing what you're doing in your category? Mm -hmm. And if you're the 25th, I would humbly suggest that your question should not be like, do I do Amazon or D2C, but what am I doing? <laughs> That's your question. Your question should be find another product. Okay. And I really beg people to think this through early because I can't tell you how many thousands of companies are too afraid. They're too ego committed to draft number one, like a bad writer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they, because of the feedback loop, like the thing is when you're a really bad writer, it's like, it's wonderful because um, the resounding silence of no interest and total re and like endless rejection, it will, you'll either quit. I mean, you'll, I give you about three months after you're done and start submitting it because you're going to be drowning in rejections and you're literally going to run out of money because writers are broke. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> that, that you literally will be choice between starvation and persistence. And then you'll have to ask yourself, well, maybe this wasn't the real, maybe. I need 70, to change something. Yeah, maybe the yeah. 75th romance novel um, using the same cliched formula is not needed. Right. Uh -huh. So <laughs> um, be open to that possibility because I've studied this for 20 years. And I can tell you that almost 50% of the people, if not more, they are 10 years late to okay. the trends. They, wow. think, they think they're cool, but they're actually 10 years behind. Okay. So I have a question on average. On average. <laughs> so. I'm clarifying something. So you had said like now fulfilled by Amazon is actually pretty expensive. And you had said there's other places before you would have never said, oh, you should use them, which are like the other fulfillment services. But could you give me a couple examples of what those are? And is that through like Shopify or were those other? No. Well, I hear there are rumors that Shopify is investing and will launch a retail platform. I think mm -hmm. that will happen. I have heard that too. Mm -hmm. They have enough money to do it. So, um, and they'll just they'll use massive advertising to allow, to launch it too. Um, but Thrive.com is one in CB in premium goods that's really good. Another one is um, a Grove, the Grove Collaborative. If you're in household goods or personal care, um, these are all um, uh, and there are many others. There are third-party online-only platforms for niche and specialty goods. And so when you're really small, guys. You don't need a lot of customers to get to half a million dollars, you know, which is where I, where most people, once they get a half a million in wholesale sales, they're covered their initial fixed costs. And that's actually where a lot of people flame out in my industries. They're not business people and they don't manage cash. They don't understand mm -hmm. how to project cash flow out six months because mm -hmm. that's, it's sort of like, <laughs> um, uh, if you don't do that, and you're not projecting the cash flow out and reprojecting it every month, that's when people get in big trouble. Because yeah. a lot of time they notice that they need to raise money, they have no time to raise it and it's over. Mm -hmm. So they're either piling up debt, um, but in many cases you can't, you know, you can't get a bank loan for these businesses. It's really important. 
Yeah. So, so th- I have a, another question for you then, especially about with supply chain. And this is something mm. that I feel like a lot of people um, who've launched uh, CPGs, a lot, especially in organic, or maybe even the farmer themselves. And they're like, we're hand weeding these or whatever. And I'm processing and everything. And now I'm getting yeah. into stores where the artisan. Yeah. Right. You got, you have like the true, like from the ground food, or yeah, maybe it's yeah. they're purchasing that food and then they're mixing it and putting whatever so, together. You know, what, I think what, I'm well, sorry. my question, my question is how do you manage um, supply chain issues, especially with COVID right now? Yeah, I mean, the biggest supply chain issues related to the pandemic are actually packaging. Okay. Um, people, startups are having a large, hard time securing packaging. It's getting delayed if it's coming out of China. And a lot of the world's packaging comes out of Asia okay. into the US. I mean, that's the, that's the big sort of kind of ridiculous thing that this pandemic has opened up to the industry. It's really embarrassing. Um, we used to make all our packaging, but not anymore. So, um, that's the thing the pandemic has caused. There are some ingredient supply chain issues that are very category specific too. Um, but I think the larger question that's not pandemic related that you're asking, I mean, if you are trying to innov- if you're trying to build a business, uh, a consumer facing business built on a specialized supply chain whose supply right now is small, mm-hmm. right? And so you have, I think a lot of, you know, artists and category, ingredient categories are like this. Mm-hmm. If that's your situation, if that's your passion, there's nothing wrong with that, but you need to study case studies like Vital Farms, eggs. You need to look at the earlier case studies like of Horizon Milk, the first nationally distributed organic milk brand. It took them 10 years to go around the country and slowly convert dairy farmers to organic dairy production. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, they weren't, their ability to grow is very much constrained by their ability to scale up um, the necessary supply. So like Vital Farms, Vital Farms had it, had they had other regulatory like help, which mm-hmm. they didn't, mm-hmm. um, like subsidy, like if they're, you know, we have massive subsidies to grow corn. Right. And the the, like. So massive, much, massive so subsidies to grow corn and beets because that's our number mm-hmm. one sugar supply yep. is, is actually a vegetable called a beet, not cane sugar. So I'm from the Midwest. I'm very familiar. Yeah. So the, these are also <laughs> things you learn in the dictionary of food additives I talked about last time. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I didn't know that the word sugar on my package is actually coming from beets. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, um, I forgot my, oh. If you're going to do that, don't quit, but just understand that you are very unlikely to have exponential growth and who cares? Okay. So like Vital Farms never hit the doubling pace um, because there was no way for them to turn on their small batch chicken egg production Mm -hmm. in the various pockets. I think they have like, don't quote me on this internet, but I think there are like three major zones where they source the eggs um, and then regionally distribute. Um, so, and, but they're all small batch organizations. So it's like dozens and dozens of people. It's mm-hmm. like not some giant Tyson operation. It's like, they're all small batch. 
Right. And so okay. they have to go literally farm by farm and convince these people to meet their standards. Because if you've had a vital farm's egg, and please go do, there, there are $6 a dozen, so just don't blame me. Six dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um, I started buying them when they were $10 a dozen. So, you know, I must be cool. So when they start, when you have these eggs, you will be, you'll fall off your chair because you, these are how eggs used to taste before World War II when chickens were fed like a real, basically natural diet, that they would themselves have gone out and eaten in the field, right? Mm -hmm. But when you grass feed a chicken, you get these beautiful orange yolks. They're unbelievably, they're like candy. <laughs> uh, and they still, they still maintain those standards at Vital Farms, right? So they had to, they had to get people to sign contracts, right? Like mm-hmm. you're going to meet these standards. You're going to feed them this. You're going to mm-hmm. give them this many days out in the pasture. You're going to give them hundred acres per bird. So, and these are, you know, when you, so um, Nyman Ranch is another example in me where you can study how he, how the founder of Nyman Ranch um, did this in um, for uh, fancy beef. Okay. Right. So uh, just know that you can grow and succeed and scale. Um, but it's going to be a longer journey, but here's the thing you actually, <laughs> most people would think you're absolutely insane. And that is the, <laughs> that's the best business defense strategically. Like that's a Harvard business degree right there is insulate your business by doing, picking a supply chain that's small, but you have a way to grow it and mm. no one else will join you because they think you're nuts. all right well i i would love for our listeners to know where they can find you if you could share with us that you can go to my website uh premiumgrowthsolutions.com i think most people will be interested mainly in the blog so backslash blog or my podcast appearances page where you can listen to me blab on 40 50 other shows about my book and all things um exponential. Awesome. Well, and if you, um, enjoyed this podcast, um, if you didn't go back and listen to the first episode, you definitely should with James Richardson. And thank you so much for being here. I have really enjoyed, uh, learning. I, I am totally into the study of people. So when I heard you were an Ah. anthropologist, I was like, this is exciting. (laughs) Yeah, I need, Um, my next book needs to be mm -hmm. about investors. The yeah, strangest, the strangest tribe of all. Oh well, I I want to transition now into our uh, gawk portion, and I'm going to tell you a story. So this is actually um, when you're talking about cooking or like trying new foods or whatever. I am I'm a pretty adventurous cook, um, but when I was younger, I thought it would be really interesting to make a fruit chili. I've never I was like fruit chili. I bet there's something out there that there's something like, cause I love chili. And I was like, I bet there's probably like a sweet fruit kind of one. And so I went on the internet and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to find, and I found a recipe hmm. and I was like, so I, I like to invent things. So I thought, well, at least like, this is me thinking of this idea, but someone else had it. So it's okay. I'll use their recipe. And um, I made my mom like buy me a whole bunch of fruit. <laughs> and the first, the I know I didn't even, when I risk things, I'll just use my parents' money, right? <laughs> This is what was probably like in eighth grade. Um, but I I had like all these ingredients. I chopped up all these strawberries, everything, put it in this crock pot. And it said to add one cup of um, apple cider vinegar. 
And I looked at it and I'm like, one cup, that seems like a sure lot of apple cider vinegar and vinegar's like sour. I'm like, you know, I'm going to trust the recipe. I'm going to trust it. So I um, put it in ruined the whole thing and my mom was like you just ruined like three pounds of fruit here and you don't even have anything to show for it so just moral of the story don't ever trust just because your idea may be good and someone else had it doesn't necessarily mean that theirs was as good as yours right 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 yeah so yes not all of our first ideas are the best any writer will tell you that but you know, I think you covered that today a little bit too. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, you should give us a review on Apple Podcasts and we will see you next week.